so much for your presence with us today. Uh, truly, you are uh, Lord and King, uh, great and mighty. And uh, I pray that you would help us this morning understand and see that a little bit more in this uh, very expansive concept of who you are as our King and what you offer us in your kingdom. Uh, may truly we be uh, struck by this reality just a little bit deeper and all the good that comes as a result of that uh, to us and all of the glory that comes out of that for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so in um, this particular academic year, we've been looking at the book of Acts and uh, we were looking at, um, this uh, to tie it all together, is a theme of next. Um, we looked in the fall at what God was doing next and now in the winter we're considering where we're supposed to be next. And so we've been working through uh, part of this book of Acts and we've been in chapter 8 lately where we've been dealing with promise. That came out of... Uh, the pain of January. So when, when I say, where do we need to be next? There's three major concepts I think we need to consider. Pain, the difficulty, the struggle, that uh, much is self-inflicted or uh, because of this uh, world that we live in. Then there's promise that comes out of that uh, because God intends to use that for his purposes. So pain and then promise. And I want to uh, you know, dig into that just a little bit more today. And then next week, we're going to begin to talk about change. So because there's pain and because God promises these things and wants us to enter into them, what does change then look like in our lives very practically? And we'll begin that next week. But uh, right now, uh, in the study of the uh, book of Acts in chapter 8, we've been learning from Philip. He's the predominant character in this particular passage. And uh, we learned a couple lessons from him. But then we also returned last week to one single phrase in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, that shows us the importance of this Gospel being the good news of the kingdom of God and not simply the good news of Jesus Christ. That's a very important concept. And uh, as we return back to it this week, it's kind of like we're walking along and I, I took you back and I said, wait, 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 look here and it's a door or a window and when you move through it, you end up in this new dimension. There's a whole new thing here that is represented in this little phrase that is taught about all over Scripture. And it's worth returning to today to understand a little bit more, though we'll spend uh, the rest of eternity plumbing the depths of this reality. So because this is such a, an expansive thing in Scripture and in, it, in itself, I've learned a lesson uh, over the years that when you come to something like this that is particularly intricate, really large, can be complex. You know who helps you most with getting an understanding of that? Artists. They really do. And uh, we have an opportunity today uh, to learn from one that's even kind of indirectly connected to this church. There's a couple who go to this church by the name of John and Joan Eighty, and they have a, uh, an adult son who is a contemporary sculptor. He also happens to be a Christ follower and a professor of art at Point Loma Nazarene University in California. And I had the opportunity this last week to um, see a PBS uh, documentary that was done on him. And in wrestling with this concept and wanting it to, to really grab you so that you understand the reality of the kingdom of God, and it's not just some kind of uh, thing out there that isn't about me, I'm watching this and... 
And in the middle of it, I said, I got to have that. So, um, you know, we checked sources and everything else. And as he says, artists have a great way of communicating visually what can be very complex in terms of an idea and yet rendered or described in a single sentence. A visual experience that you can describe that simply. But then, as you go away, you, it percolates in your mind and you begin to think about the depth and the richness and the greater meaning of what that artist was representing. And this is what we need to do with the kingdom of God. So I want you to see this video of uh, David Ades and listen for that and then we'll pick it up again. Looking at the work that I've made over the last 10 years, I think one thing that I see in common, because often material is not common, it's I've used a lot of different materials over the years, but it's I'm, I'm often drawn to work that is you could, you could really explain what it is physically, in, usually in one sentence. And so that it may be extraordinarily complex or technically difficult to make. There may be thousands of pieces, but you could essentially explain, you know, like John Henry, for example, 40-foot long row of books pressed between two walls. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very simple task that I've done. It may be very difficult to, to make it happen, so I like the, the simplicity and the elegance of a, of a simple idea. So with, with John Henry, people can walk in and just say, wow, and then walk out and, and see what's happening. Um, but then hopefully it stays with you and then and it, it, it percolates over time. So um, I'm very interested in, in the implications. In fact, you know, I think about um, Andy Warhol's soup cans. It's so simple, you know. I made I made paintings of soup cans, but so you can explain what it is in, in one sentence. But then, you know, what I think about with that piece is that um, you know you look at the different flavors, and I think about you know my mom making casseroles with cream of mushroom soup, and I think about um, tomato soup and grilled cheese. And maybe it's lost the currency of contemporary culture. I don't think it's as ubiquitous as it once was when that piece was first made. But um, there's, a, there's a shared experience. When I look at that piece, I'm thinking about my stories and being at home with my family and kind of the comfort of that. But yet you realize that the people standing next to you looking at it have, essentially have the same stories. So it's about the implications of that simple state in an art context is it's extraordinary. That piece is still challenging to me, the way it, it just marked that moment in history. And so um, I think I'm, I'm after that. I'm after that, that breaking down of the idea of the individual which I think that piece does, did it so well, still does it. Um, but, and, and I don't mean that in a, like, I, I don't necessarily think that's a depressing thing to think, well, I'm, I've just lost my identity as an individual. I think it's actually more of a comforting thing that we actually have more in common with the people around us, that we have these shared stories. I'm interested in more 
these universal ideas, those experiences that I have that that make me realize that um, you know the, the world is a lot bigger than me and my own likes and dislikes and um, the things that I surround myself with. My, my latest fascination with astrophysics is, you know, is an example of that too, you know, to really look outside, not just look outside of my own self, but look outside of our own, our own Earth and our own galaxy and um, really gives you a sense of feeling small. But, but I think there's, a, there's kind of a peace in that as well. Um, it just it, it can make your own, your own problems seem small. Now let me pull out of that what I want you to see. He says a very complex idea communicated in a single sentence that then percolates over time in your mind. He went to Andy Warhol's soup cans, expressing this, this commonness, this shared experience in a certain time in history, but each one having their own story as it related to that. And then he moves into this, I'm interested in breaking down the breaking down of the individual. Not a depressing thing, but comforting because of our shared experience. As we say around here, it's not just all about us, right? But then he moves from such, common, such a common idea as a, as a soup can to astrophysics. The experiences that make me see the world so much bigger than I am than my likes and dislikes and the things I surround myself with. Looking beyond can make me feel so small, but there's a peace because then my problems that seem so big when I realize I'm part of something so much greater really puts them into a different perspective. So this artistic imagery, together with a theologian by the name of uh, George Ladd, who's written a book called The Gospel of the Kingdom. Now, I just mentioned this because um, 30 years ago when I was you know, reading this very book and studying this when I was in school, uh, they held it up and they said, um, this is a classic that's been around for 30 years and so on. Somewhere I had a copy of this, you know how libraries go, somewhere along the way. Somebody borrowed it, never brought it back. Now, uh, Scott Millard's pursuing theological studies and he, I had to borrow the book from him. And he's in classes where they hold it up and say, 60 years ago they wrote this thing, but it's a classic and... Uh, and it is, and he's just uh, done an excellent job. And so with his help and this artistic imagery, I, I'd like to render what is rather complex in terms of an idea of the kingdom of God into a single sentence and then a three-dimensional image that I want to leave with you that you'll take home and let percolate in your mind as you continue to think of its depth, its richness, and its greater meaning. There are many passages in Scripture uh, that deal with this and more than we can handle in this particular day but I've given you some and so pull this little sheet of paper out and on here on the one side are some of the passages that I'd like to read uh, that'll become important as we go through this and um, these describe uh, first of all they're rooted in Jesus' own words so that you know that this kingdom is really what he is telling us it is and how we're supposed to interact with it now immediately and then in the future as well so the Acts chapter 8, verse 12, what is what walked us into this. Remember, we came back to this little door and we walked in. When they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Well, what is this gospel of the kingdom of God? Matthew chapter 13, 
verse uh, 31 to 33. Uh, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. And he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Later in the same chapter, he says in verses 44, and I left out 46. Sorry about that. Uh, you can uh, go and read it. I'm going to read it here in a second. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a tre treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then he went in his joy and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for uh, pearls. Then vor verse 46 says, When he had found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Matthew chapter 6 says, Don't worry saying, What shall we eat? When shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and then all these things will be given to you as well. And then finally, in Matthew chapter 24, his disciples are asking him, when is it that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew says it? By the way, uh, in Matthew, it's always kingdom of heaven. In all of the other gospels, it's kingdom of God. It's completely synonymous. There's no significance, um, in, in it's the same concept. And, and they are asking, when is this kingdom of heaven going to come? And the Lord says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So here's the one sentence right at the bottom of that page under those verses. The kingdom of God is God liberating from a solitary cell into celestial exploration all who will answer his invitation. So as a word artist, I'm going to draw you a three-dimensional picture of the kingdom of God expressed in that single sentence. So here it is. First of all, the kingdom of God has a first dimension of a message. There are three enemies that put you in this solitary cell. It's up there, right? Not seeing it on this uh, monitor. There's, that's a solitary, that's a, a solitary cell of, or a cell of solitary confinement. There are three enemies that have put you there. Satan, sin, and death. Now, call it the three walls or call it the ceiling, the walls, and the floor, whatever. There are three dimensions to this and that these three things represent the solitary confinement that we find ourselves in. Satan deceived us in his antagonism towards God and us, and then we ended up sinning by choice, and now that is then embedded in our very nature. And then we've been condemned to die. That's the wage of that sin. Now, the kingdom of God is first established in liberating people from that cell of solitary confinement. God in Jesus Christ takes on our sin, pays the penalty of sin in his death in our place, and conquers Satan by rising from the dead and offering life to anyone who will accept his invitation out of the solitary confinement and into his kingdom. This is a free gift. That doesn't mean it's cheap. It cost God an immeasurable personal price, his own son. And he did that because you matter that much to him and because he is just that good and that great. So this is the first image. Solitary confinement of these three dimensions 
that we were deceived into but then became um, complicit in in our own act of rebellion and are destined to a death because of it because that's the wage of sin. But God in his kingdom mindset says, I want these people that I love out of that confinement and be brought into something so much greater. So I'm going to take their place. I'm going to pay that price. I'm going to kick the door down. And in the image there, you see there's no wall here. There's an opening. There's an opportunity for someone to step out. And he invites them to do exactly that. Now, it's just the first part of the picture. But I want to stop here for a second. There's a bit of a struggle. You step out of the cell, but you're still near it. Well, look at what you stepped into in a minute. But right now, you're kind of, um, you weren't meant to be in that place, but you were or you are. And there's an invitation to, to exit, to step out. And when we step out, we're also drawn back into it. We are kind of between two worlds, and we see this concept in Scripture with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, in a sense, is now, but it also is still yet to come. We're entering into a new kingdom, but we're also drawn back into the old one. Now, the example of this would be the Shawshank Redemption, which I imagine most of you have seen. If you haven't, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's an interesting film. You remember where a couple of them get out eventually, and what are they? They're terrified. They hate the confinement. But once they're out, they don't know what to do without the security of what they've always known, as much as they hate it. And that is really a picture of our confinement and what God is leading us into. We can actually be terrified in the face of all that God has for us because we've found security in the dimensions that we can define, as much as we hate them. And that reality can really be true. And that's why there is a struggle in this moving from one kingdom into the other. And that's really not, we're not going to find complete liberation of that until he comes and takes us physically and spiritually into that uh, dimension. So the kingdom of God has a message. It's an invitation. Here you are. You're in this cell. Somebody kicks the door down. It's Jesus Christ. He invites you to come out and he says, I can because somebody paid the price. It was me. I've purchased you. You're now mine if you want to come and live under my rule and reign. And I've given you a couple of other verses there um, on the outline, and you can go back and uh, read those as this percolates, and you'll see. So that's the first image. Then, the second dimension of this image is the kingdom of God has a second dimension of a mission. From solitary confinement, you enter into a celestial dominion. Now, as I was talking to you about the cell, you're picturing when you step out that you're in a hallway. Or maybe you get to go down the hallway and down some stairs and out into the yard where there's sunshine and you get to see the birds again. And, but you're still kind of in some, you know, proverbial earthly cage or something. God doesn't invite us into something just slightly better. He's inviting us into that, into a celestial dominion, into something that is so great that God has described it, or is, it, he's, he's created emblematically a universe for us to see how great he is and how great is all that he has to offer us. It's greater than the universe, and we can't even measure the universe. But so that we can understand, to blow our little minds, he says, I want you to come out into all of this. And it's huge. It's amazing. And we will never plumb the depths of how amazing that is. You are so valuable to him that you are worth freeing, first of all, and then you're meant, you exist, 
to find purpose in exploring all of who God is, all that he created, joining him in that life, and sharing that with other people that would want to enter into that as well. And we find ourselves between these two worlds. Part of sharing with the, the one with others, and, and then filled with hope for what is yet to come. The kingdom of God is, and it is also yet to come. And this is why I gave you the parables that we did. Some of them speak of progression. Remember, the small to the great, it's going to take time, but then we're going to move from the one into this huge thing, from little into a whole influence. There's also the parables that speak of, excuse me, of value, focusing on what truly matters, investing in what is of greatest value. So the parable of the mustard seed, the treasure and the pearl, seeking God's kingdom first. So... The kingdom of God is a, is a message. It's an invitation to step out of where you are into something greater. It's a mission of exploring and sharing that reality as we learn it with other people. And then thirdly, the kingdom of God has a third dimension of an intrinsic motivation. God's intended future is so amazing. It's so full of promise. The very concept of it being a kingdom means that there's so much more to come. And this is where some of our why questions get answered. There's going to be final destruction of the enemy, of all that um, bothers us, that, that, that holds us back, that creates problems for us, the, 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 the enemies and the pain and sickness and so on and so forth. There will be final victory someday. There's going to be a distancing from our painful past. There will be a painlessness. There will be true justice being served, so justice will be served, and there will be an an eternal exploration of God's greatness, and that is blessing. And that's why he tells us to go and share this with everybody. Go into all the world and tell people about this Jesus Christ, bringing them into this kingdom in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. And then he says in that verse that we read, and when this is done, when all the late nations have heard, then the end will come. So the kingdom of God is a, is a message. It's an invitation to step out. It's a mission to explore and to share. And in this last picture, it's, it's a motivation for all that it promises to all those that would want it. Now, you stepped out of the cell and you look down and you realize there's a whole bunch of other cells just like yours. And can you see in the picture that there's, there's a face in every one of those windows? And if you look carefully, you'll realize none of those men can see any other person. That's solitary confinement. And we are surrounded with people that find themselves in that solitary cell because of these three reasons. Satan who deceived us, our own sin, and then the death that we deserve. And desperately... God wants to kick that door down and he's effectively done it in Christ Jesus and invite those people to come out. And then he's, he's looked at us and he said, would, would you join me in sharing with those people that they can be free? This is amazing. Sharing this hope with other people. Now, that's the image and what I wanted you to understand. Now, why is this important? Because God is liberating from a solitary cell into celestial exploration anyone who will answer his invitation. Would you like to stay where you are? Or would you like to enter into something so amazing 
It'll take all of time and eternity to plumb, plumb the depths out. In that is a personal message. And you need to respond to that message personally. Because it was done personally. In a person, Jesus Christ. It starts with a personal response. Now, it's going to get collective in a minute, but we've got to reflect on that. We have three enemies that need defeating. Satan has been defeated. Sin has been conquered. And death only awaits those who will not accept the invitation to leave the cell. Have you accepted the invitation? Don't we find kind of a strange security being lost in ourselves? We hate it on the one hand, but on the other hand, we, we kind of like it because we know it and we can define it and we can measure it and it's all about us. And God is looking at you and saying, you are so valuable. I don't want you there. I want you out of that. But this is also true. I'm the one that did it. It's my kingdom and my reign. I want you to enter into my reality. And the blessings are untold. It won't be about you, just you anymore. It will be about this amazing, immense, expansive reality that I have for all those I love and for my honor and my glory. You want to be a part of that? Jesus doesn't save just from. He saves to. And that concept is rattling. It's great because there's so much promise. But it's threatening because it's not just about you. And we personally have to answer that. Every one of us, individually, we have to say, I want to accept that invitation. I'd rather be there than here. Certain amount of insecurity in that. I don't know what all it's going to mean. What does it mean that I have to live under his rule and reign? Is he good? Is he going to ask me to do things I don't want to do? He wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have paid that immeasurable price if he wasn't good. And so you can trust that. But you have to answer. It's an initial liberation. Okay, Lord, I recognize where I am lost in myself. And I trust what you did in Jesus. And I want that. It's like accepting a gift. That's all it is. Then there's this collective mission, vision. I'm sorry, this collective mission of all these people that then step out. God values you so much, He brought you out, and He did that for all who would respond. And then this ends up giving us purpose for our living. It ends up being called kingdom living. All that you are and you do and where you go have to do with this greater kingdom. And there's an amazing motivation in that, to join God in His work and to fulfill my part of whatever it is, as small as it may seem. He says it's important. What do you want me to do in your kingdom? And there's a motivation to just want to fulfill a love obligation, like, like we talked about last week, and share that joy with other people. And literally, the Bible tells us, hasten the day that Jesus would return and establish this kingdom fully. A very involved, complex concept here, but rendered in this one little sentence and an image. That God is liberating from a solitary cell into a celestial exploration anyone who would answer his invitation. Leave yourself. Share the, the, uh, the invitation with others. And then explore the kingdom. 
that's what the kingdom of God is all about. Now, it's particularly timely that we would be considering this concept as we celebrate the table that we have here this morning and also as we enter into the season that we're in. As the Christian calendar goes, this particular week we begin what's known as the Lenten season. As a church, we gather around the Lord's table here to participate in this ordinance of communion, this celebration of, of that incredible gift, that personal sacrifice of God's Son on your behalf so you wouldn't have to die. And you can enter into all that He has. That's what this is about. A body that was broken for you and blood that was shed for you, the price paid. Now, we do that as we gather. We celebrate individually remembering Christ's sacrifice and atoning work on our behalf. And this is for people who have stepped out of that cell. And Oh man, all of us are between those two worlds. None of us is perfect. There are times when we're drawn back into that and, and we fall even back into the things that, that got us in that mess. But if you've stepped out beyond that door, accepting the invitation, trusting Christ, then this celebration is for you. If you haven't, that's all it takes is a step of faith. I trust you, Lord. It's not about me. It's about you. And I want to place my faith in what you did on the cross for me and coming out of that tomb to conquer death. And by that act of faith, you enter into his realm. Then, collectively, we gather around this table to share all that we have in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. We celebrate not only communion with Christ, but then with each other. With the body of believers. And in this is a motivation too. As we gather around this table, we not only remember and celebrate what Christ has done, but we look forward to what He's going to still do. Now this month as we gather around this table, I'd like this time not to be just about today, but to prepare us for these coming weeks as we look forward to Easter and celebrating what God has done. Lent is a moment in the church calendar when we prepare our hearts and minds for what we're going to celebrate on that very significant day when Christ rose from the dead and conquered uh, sin for us. Lent is a season to passionately pursue God and live for Him. Now, sometimes that means giving up some significant things, and that's what we kind of know Lent as, right? Now, I'm giving this up for Lent. I'm giving that. You know, sometimes we deprive ourselves of things, and there's nothing wrong with that because we want to identify with what Christ did as He came here and gave up so much for us. But it can also mean intentionally doing some other things purposefully. So I don't want this to be an isolated event. I want it to be preparing ourselves to enter into this season of asking God, what is it that you want me to do next to advance your kingdom? What do you want me to see that I haven't seen? What people around me? Am I ignoring that are right there looking out those windows wondering if there's anything else? What step of of faith and growth does God want you to take? What's he asking you to do beyond what you've done so far? Because he wants us to move more and more into the greatness of all that he has for us. I'd like us to be thinking about that in these weeks as we move towards the celebration of Easter.
So, one of the ways I'd like you to begin that process is with this purple prayer of Lent that's in your bulletin. Take it, put it somewhere, keep it available, pray through it. We're going to pray through it in an interesting way in just a minute. But if you look at it, you'll see that you know, the Easter theme is kind of there. Oh Lord, my Redeemer of my life. That's what we're looking forward to in all that he's accomplished. Then there's a reflective side. Lord, take from me the spirit of laziness and despair and lust and gossip and pride. And, and yet there's also a resolve. Replace that with humility and patience and purity and self-denial. With a love for what you love and a burden for what burdens you. My Lord and my Savior. Help me to confront my own transgressions. You know, that's sliding back into that cell. And not to condemn others, my brothers and sisters. For you alone are just as are just and holy now and forevermore.